Hello and welcome once again to episode 123 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators helping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So uh, we have a bit of a new a new segment and I, I hope we can do this semi-regularly. Of course it depends on Apple. <laughs> uh, but I decided to call it Higbits. Uh, because Apple has updated their HIG, and since they have release notes for their HIG, uh, it's easy to keep track of. So you just need someone to tell you when it gets updated. Uh, and thankfully, uh, someone did that for us, and we are doing that for you. Yeah. So uh, we've got two new ones. Um, one of them is in the design section, and or, well, I don't know if that everything's in the design section. I don't know. Anyway, I love the release <laughs> notes, though. It says February 27th. 2023 new page period that's it <laughs> so uh this is brand new it's all new great yeah uh but it's on writing and it's it, kind of the sub headline of it is um the words you choose within your app are an essential part of its user experience and uh, kind of going from like firsthand experience of <clears throat> there was a feature i was working on in my day job where uh i was I they they gave me a basic design, but it was I sort of had to come up with the copy for um, explaining what the feature did. And there were a couple places where alerts would pop up, or you know, the messaging for deleting and stuff. And um, the it's the copy had to be sort of uh, edited after the fact, after I had written it, to sort of be more in line with what the rest of the messaging of the rest of our app it was just so it's consistent and that's kind of what it's talking about here is trying to like determine your app's voice is it you know a, a fun app is it a game do you want to you know basically just like what is what is your audience and what would your audience expect to be sort of like the correct way of speaking to you mm -hmm. uh, from the app right like it mentions like if it's a banking app you want to convey trust and stability type of thing um Ours, you know, we wanted it to be professional and not like I think one of the loading screens that I wrote, it said like hang tight, we're loading whatever, right? And it's like mm, maybe not. So feels um, more like a toy kind of than a professional tool, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that was, and I, I would like to say it was placeholder. I thought it was fine, but obviously it wasn't, and that's fine. So, um, just goes into a couple things about you know best practices for that trying to figure out your voice um language patterns like if you are yeah so like talk in first or second person so like in every place say like my favorites my whatever uh or your saved items your favorites whatever so that it's mm -hmm. consistent so I, I think it's got some really good um pointers there yeah and the great part about this guide is it's not uh, being prescriptive of like only using one way of doing mm -hmm. something like you don't have to use continue on every page or you don't have to use next on every page as long as you're consistent you don't say continue next continue next uh kind yeah. of thing <laughs> then it, it lends your app more more credibility as something that's been put together professionally um and that tends to give people confidence that they would want to pay for it uh at the end of the day uh, my favorite thing that they did end up calling out here has to do with error messages, uh, yeah. and the dreaded "oops" message. Um, like a lot of uh -oh. a lot of apps tend to tend to like treat error messages as uh, something that nobody can do anything about, um, Apple included, which is the the best part of this. Is something went wrong? Uh, that's great, Apple. Uh, lots of, or better, just don't show an error message when things are not going yeah. well, and then that's even that's an even better solution. Uh, but uh, here it gives an example of that password is too short isn't as helpful as choose a password of at least eight characters. Um, and I think that that way of thinking uh, deserves a different way of thinking throughout your entire app to really kind of nail how things are used. Um, and the only thing I would expand here is like for error messages, make sure that every error message you have is unique, uh, because that's going to be your best bet as to finding where it occurs when a user is ambiguous and does not tell you, oh, how they got somewhere. Um, or they just, mm -hmm. I saw an error message. I said this, here's a screenshot, um, like that. If, if it's unique, then you can do a string search in your project for it. And that is a great way of finding exactly where it is. Um, also like 
include diagnostics that the user can take action on um, right. is a great way that like the user themselves might be able to uh, fix the problem. Like if your app gets big enough where enough people are using it, uh, there's probably going to be a Reddit somewhere uh, where enough people have congregated to kind of uh, share knowledge about how your app works. And if there is an error message that maybe you as a developer like are doing the best thing you can by showing that error message, right? Uh, and a user is confused. Well, if they search Google and it shows up on a Reddit post, maybe you can answer it there once and then you're not going to be getting a whole bunch of support <laughs> yeah. inquiries uh, as a result um of that so that that those kinds of things can help um so uh this whole section in general is great um and definitely suggests reading it along with the rest of the hig mm -hmm. uh but there is one more change that happens at the hig uh and that is the tap to pay page got improved uh, i'm not too sure how it uh, got improved uh but uh as a reminder tap to pay is this new thing that apple uh totally did not add under pressure that allows other apps to accept payments uh, via the NFC chip uh, directly in the app. Um, over in the U.S., that sounds like a thing that would Square would only use, but it turns out Wix also just added support like last week or this hmm. week. Um, I didn't know Wix was a thing, but they, they are now a thing because it's significant enough that someone else other than Square probably implemented something like this, so that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, a little less interesting to me than the uh, than the writing page, but just a I tad. Mean, the Hig is getting updated, and that's kind of, I guess, the best part about this is we know that, um, in some form or another, whether it's a lot or not, uh, the Hig is being updated and sort of maintained. So that's nice. But you know what else needs to be maintained is uh, AI created code because it's less secure. Who would have guessed? That's crazy Joyful. to me. To me, yeah, yeah. So it turns out, uh, if if you are heavily now dependent on uh, uh, what's the GitHub supplied one, uh, Copilot, Copilot, Codepilot, uh, Copilot, not Codepilot. Uh, but if you are heavily dependent on that, it turns out the code you write is guaranteed to be a little more shittier than people who aren't dependent on that uh and this yeah. has been scienced uh so you know it's true uh kidding aside uh it someone did a legitimate study uh and they compared two groups one group that had access to a coding assistant and one group that did not have access to a coding assistant so whether or not they used it the group that had access to the coding assistant wrote less secure code that had more security vulnerabilities uh, and it had more problems in general, and they were more confident about the code they wrote, thinking it was better. Uh, so right. let that be a warning. Um, as as with most things, uh, the less you know, the turns out the the more confident you are. I forget what that effect is called. Um, the Dunning Kruger effect. I the Dunning Kruger. Yeah. Yeah. So the the less you know, the the more confident you are uh, that you know everything, which is always uh amazing but it turns out that the more you know the the less confident you get uh because you start to to see like oh there's so much out there and then i guess at a certain point you're like you reach the maximum of like you know really a lot and you're like i know nothing despite actually knowing everything and it loops around <laughs> i don't know how that works yeah <laughs> uh there's an ouroboros somewhere in there and tears of the kingdom but um... <laughs> oh there you go <laughs> there we go <laughs> tying it in um Yep. But uh, that 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 turns out to be something that you absolutely need to be careful of when you are using tooling that is very confident about itself, despite not knowing what confidence is. Uh, so keep in mind whenever you do use AIs, whether it's via ChatGPT or whether it's via Copilot, uh, you can potentially get in big trouble uh, by by using that and being confident with uh, the results that it's giving you. I think this comes from like wanting to trust like other people like in general like this is a basal instinct like if if someone helps you do something you're you're more sure. likely to trust them outright um and that works when you get help 
from someone who can be trustworthy, right? Uh, but it doesn't work when the person that's helping you has no, like, uh, um, they have yeah, they have no reputation for like doing d- doing oh, always sure. the right thing and making sure that everything uh, is correct. So uh, do keep that in mind. That AI is very confident about the gibberish that it spews, uh, and that's just part of the world we're in, and it's going to change rapidly uh, from this point forward. Uh, hopefully to the point where we have AIs that are legitimately confident about the stats that they're sharing. Uh, but even if we have those, we're still going to have the the not-so-good AIs uh, left around vestigially around our tools and our devices that have not gotten updated. So just keep that in mind. For, from today onwards, uh, we are going to have to live with, with this kind of technology, and uh, it might make us worse for it. Yeah. I think it's kind of like a, not quite a middle ground in the abstract. It it kind of has an interesting part where it says, furthermore, we find that the participants who trusted the AI, the AI less and engaged more with the language and format of their prompts. So like rephrasing, adjusting temperature, uh, provided code with fewer frequency or sorry, fewer security vulnerabilities. So like, like Dimitri is talking about. Uh, trusting it less and saying like, "Mm, maybe that doesn't seem right. Maybe I need to ask it in a different way. Maybe the AI is completely possible or it's completely able to get a good solution, but maybe you didn't ask it the right question or something, but not trusting the AI to give you the right response the first time, I suppose. And again, that comes back to that Dunning-Kruger effect where you look at the code and you're like, yeah, I know this isn't right. I'm almost positive. Let's try something else. So, um, that's sort of like i'm sure we'll get to a future where the ai is what we will rely on but like dimitri said we're definitely not there so uh yeah interesting that someone did like a full uh you know actual scientific study on this like a user study and sort of it is empirically more or less saying what we've been saying and what many people mm-hmm. are saying that it's just it's very cool. Super not ready. Um, I've used Chat GPT just to like test things, and it does okay. But you definitely like if you know more or less the realm you're writing in, and if it's anything more than some basic code that's probably sitting on GitHub, it's probably not going to work for you. So we need a little bit more time for it to to cook. Yeah. And it definitely is impressive what it is able to do. Like you can yeah. ask it to like write the basics of of an app, and it will do that. Um, yeah. Most of it might be correct, and like some parts of it might like need some adjusting. Uh, but do approach it with a skeptical mind, right? Don't don't outright trust it. Learn to like think critically of what it is giving you and what you can trust and what you have to. Uh, like be more perceptive of um, because it is absolutely a tool at the end of the day. Just it's kind of like self-driving where it feels like, Oh, it can basically do what I needed to do. Therefore I'm going to turn my entire brain off and not pay attention to the road anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because that's what we tend to do as humans because we, we learn, Oh, I can rely on this thing to do it most of the time, except with self-driving cars that turns out to be lethal. If uh, the wrong thing happens. Uh, so, uh, with most of the code that we write, thankfully it's not a big deal, but security vulnerabilities yeah. are a big deal, right? Uh, yes, so exactly. we don't want to necessarily expose our, our users, uh, to things that we could have easily prevented by keeping a sharper eye. Um, I guess as a final point on this, uh, if you do want to learn to think critically, um, and to learn to to look at these things with a skeptical eye. There's a great podcast called uh, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe that explores this ad nauseum. Uh, and it's a legitimately good uh, source of like daily science news, uh, which is why I love to listen to it. But uh, sprinkled in with all that science news is how to think critically, how to evaluate BS when you see it, um, and how to approach things like ai with uh the grains of salt that you need to not shoot yourself in the foot in that same process right nice that's really cool i i've not heard of that podcast i will most definitely check it out 
On to the next topic. Uh, we've been talking a bit about macros coming to Swift uh, lately, and it turns out uh, we are starting to see like real use cases coming quickly of what macros can do for Swift. And the first one uh, that's kind of being pitched as a solution for the every every person problem of writing option sets uh, is kind of cool looking. Yeah, it's really cool. It um, significantly decreases the amount of boilerplate that you have to write. And I think the thing with um, with option sets is like it, it mentions in the I'm just going to take from the um, proposal. It ha- it involves some fiddly boilerplate, which is exactly right, because you're, you're dealing with um, bitmaps or uh, bit shifts. Uh, yeah. One of the two. I don't know. Uh, so well, lots it, of like magic. they mentioned like yeah it like, that kind of stuff is like honestly i don't understand it quite a ton but um it, it says it's pretty repeatable but it's easily uh you're easily able to accidentally repeat the bit shift and not change that uh, it lists a couple ways that you can kind of mess it up and so the proposed solution for it is just having this add option set makes it way nicer where you just make like an enum and you have the cases and like that's it you don't and it will automatically do the bit shifting for you uh which is huge um we we have a, i was just checking in in uh the Jobby jobs app and um most of our option sets are in objective c but we have some that are like literally 30 options long so and there have been times where i've had to add options and it's you know you have to run through and make sure you're not copying uh the same the same number that you're shifting so uh, definitely one that like would be super cool. Um, be nice to move a lot of our option sets to Swift, so we could uh, benefit from this um, this new macro. So yeah, I think it's a it's a really good idea. Yeah, it mentions also sets. like oh sorry, go for it. Oh, I was just gonna say option sets are one of those things in Swift that are nicer to use like once they've been set up for you. But boy, are they finicky to like set up, um, and not just yeah. from the bit shifts, but also oh, making sure you implement all the conformances to do all the intersections and stuff like that. Um, like mm. it's not the worst, but it's not as magical as writing an enum. Um, and we all wish yeah. it were as magical as writing an enum. And this is what the macro does, which is wonderful. Yep. And it mentions like there's the alternative of just adding native support for option sets, but it kind of says there's no real benefit um, other than like slightly decreasing the verbosity. So it seems like the like a it, to me, and I agree with this, and maybe you have a different opinion, but it seems like a macro is like a perfect use for this because that's probably much easier to get into uh, and sort of implemented and accept. I don't know. Seems easier than writing um, sort of true native support instead of just having a macro write it for you. Especially if the Swift team only has to write how to make macros work and then anyone can write these and anyone can add them to the to the system, even to Swift itself. Like this is being proposed as a native like mm-hmm. uh, uh, addition to the Swift standard library which means that you will just be able to make option sets really easily in all of your code, um, no matter like where it's being deployed or to which version of macOS or iOS. Uh, so that is where macros are magical is because it does allow anyone to kind of write a mini, a mini compiler uh, to do the dirty work for them without needing to know how to write a compiler, uh, which, to be <laughs> right. clear, is getting easier. Like mo- more and more of the compiler is being rewritten in Swift rather than C++, um, which is going to make it easier to uh, reason about Swift and make things uh, better down the down the down the line. So, um, if anything, like this opens the door to conversation where we might decide, hey, in Swift seven, yeah, let's go ahead and make options set a native thing, um, and then it can yeah. be right. Uh, but until then, this is like a very good solution that gets us 95% of the way there without too much more work that really needs to be done other than to make it look nicer. 
Next on our agenda is to talk a little bit about uh, Tweetbot and Twitterific. Um, and as you might have heard, uh, Twitter has uh, devolved into a bunch of 404s and 500 errors this morning <laughs> as we record. Yeah. Uh, it turns out the the whole developer.twitter.com uh, uh, page just kind of melted. Uh, but uh, that is irrelevant because Tweetbot and Twitterific, which were heavily dependent on the Twitter API, uh, can no longer work. And that means that anyone who's subscribed uh, to it uh, is essentially going to get their money back thanks to Apple refunding um, everyone. Uh, now, the details of this are a bit unclear um, as far as how it works, but uh, yeah. I want to encourage everyone to go uh, re-download if you have deleted or open Tweetbot and Twitterific, and especially if you've bought a subscription through them, go ahead and ask for, I don't need a refund. Um, because you don't. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> long story short, uh, you don't. Uh, and many people are not going to do that. Um, and the companies behind Tweetbot and Twitterific are likely going to hemorrhage quite a bit because of uh, this. So this will be helping them out and making sure that if you like the other apps that these companies make, like maybe Ivory, uh, you can go ahead and continue using Ivory because it will mean that the developers will continue being able to develop it without needing to take out a new mortgage. Um, so yeah, that's that's something uh, to consider. I think in Tweetbot you can move your subscription over to Ivory, um, which is a very neat thing. Yeah, you can. Um, I chose not to do it. I just chose to tell them I don't need a refund. Um, but... Uh, that is a responsibility that we as users, unfortunately, need to take. Um, now, as Michael Sai pointed pointed out, I have no idea how, what the mechanism behind all of this yeah. is. Um, like, I would assume if an app just kind of stops working, Apple doesn't really care. Uh, and that's that. Uh, individual users can go and ask for a prorated refund of the remainder of their subscription. And I think Apple will just give it to right. them. But I don't know why uh, these two apps, like maybe they approached Apple and they asked, uh, hey, can we give refunds to our users? Um, and two, uh, maybe Apple said yes, uh, but you need to let people know which ones want it and which ones uh, explicitly want to opt out of the refund process. Um, so maybe that's what they're doing. Um, and maybe yep. it's just a super manual process. Uh, that's going on to support this. I don't really know. Yeah, it's interesting. And Apple like is going to pay its you know thirty or fifteen percent of whatever the subscription is. So there has to be some coordination there, I would assume. Um, but it is interesting uh, that they're doing it this way. I think, like Dimitri said, the biggest thing is like I don't need the refund, right? It's like I was paying for Twitterific or sorry, Tweetbot. Um, with a monthly subscription. So, and it said you have X amount of days left on your subscription. It was like two or three days. So I literally would have got 25 cents. Do I need those 25 cents? No. Do they more than me? Probably. So, uh, that didn't really make any sense not to do that. And, um, I already have an ivory subscription. So, uh, there, I didn't need to transfer it over or anything. So you didn't want the three um, extra days. No, that's all good. It's all good, man. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I, I like didn't want to make said. things more they, complicated because it feels like yeah. asking for to transfer, even though I already paid for the Ivory subscription. Um, it, it felt like it would be like I, I don't know how the developers would have worked that out because they don't get to yeah. tell Apple, "Hey, pause the subscription." It just happens. Yeah. Um, so. Like it would have been, it would have been weird for certain. Maybe I should click to just to see like what would happen, um, because I'm sure from their point of view it counts as a like I don't need a refund as well. Um, sure. So like there's that, uh, but maybe it's just going to be part of a balance once I ever stop paying for Ivory um, that will get used. Who knows? Um, it's it's really up to them to implement it however they want. Um, but you can't do that for Twitterific, so like, give love to the folks behind Twitterific who invented the word tweet. Like, 
they they <laughs> exactly. they made twitter what it is uh for all intents and purposes so uh they got relatively nothing out of that in the many years uh, that have come to this point um and as a result of these mass refunds they're likely needing to shell out a whole lot of money for revenue that didn't happen yet like if if someone subscribed for an entire year uh a month ago uh then twitter if it got 12 months worth of revenue at that time of subscription um and that's that's something that they may not be able to like they may have already used that revenue to continue developing uh that and other apps uh because development is expensive uh, so that might not exist anymore. Um, and needing to take care of that, which they likely will like do the right thing because they're not shit turds, um, <laughs> will mean that like they may need to take out a whole bunch of loans. Like I remember, uh, there were a few people that were doing an iOS development conference. Um, and basically due to COVID and due to them, basically using their own money to make sure that everything was reserved and all that they literally had to take out like a new mortgage uh to help pay for all of that um and that's 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 really unfortunate when people are just kind of doing it for the community um and doing it to make everything better for everyone um and yes these apps were for profit but they also like Asking for a refund on ten to twenty dollars feels very petty at this point. Um, and it's so American, it... though. <laughs> That's what sucks. Is I'm like, I know people are gonna do that, like a hundred percent. That's such an mm-hmm. American thing to do. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Um, so go support those of us who are better than that. Uh, go go help support those developers. Um, and yeah, the money's already spent, right? Uh, so yeah. Yeah. And other, other, other news, uh, M3 IMAX might be coming soon. And like, where's, where's the M2 Ultra? Why, why do we skip forward so much with these Apple Silicon chips? Yeah, that was my, like, we'll, we'll get into it, but like, that was my thought with reading this article is like, they're... There's so much, like, overlap and jumping around with these M-series chips that it's just, like, it's kind of weird and maddening. Like, on one hand, I can get, like, probably producing new chips, well, not new chips because the chips are made, but, like, new boards and everything for all of the Macs must be, like, somewhat hard, but they were doing it with Intel uh, chips, so, like, maybe it's not that hard? I don't know. It's weird. Uh, But the big thing is they're talking about... Um, having a new M3 iMac coming out in about six months or so, uh, which would sort of correspond with the release, uh, the sort of proposed, uh, yeah, I suppose, not proposed, but like the assumed release of the M3, uh, a 15-inch MacBook Air, which seems weird to me because now we're encroaching on MacBook Pro territory. Because uh, they have the same chips, except one has a fan and one doesn't. I don't know. There, there's like weird stuff. I don't really know what's happening, to be honest. Yeah, it's just. I, I, I guess I'm excited that we're going to get new IMAX. Like that's cool. Sure. I hope they, Apple, do not, don't you dare get rid of the colors. Like it says please. that they're going to keep the colors. Okay, good. I mean, this is a rumor, obviously. Thank you, rumors. The pirates are gonna <laughs> for, for, for easing sure Dimitri's this... soul. Yeah, they did mention the plug, the ports and stuff might might shift around. Um, uh-huh. I don't think this means that we're gonna get like a twenty-seven inch again. Um, like that's that's would be a, a separate thing. I don't think it would get an M three yeah. at that point. I would think it would get an M two Pro or Max or probably not You'd an Ultra, so. but maybe an Ultra. Um, that would probably be better for the 27 inch. Um, and yeah, I guess we might see yep. an M3 iPad first because that makes sense. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. That's what happened to the M2, right? Yeah. I think Apple declared like naming bankruptcy with the M series of chips. <laughs> yeah. It's basically <laughs> yeah, like the A numbers got a little high for their taste. So they're like, we're going to start off again at M. 
Uh, and now, now we're starting off on him again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has Thunderbolt, right? The, the non-Thunderbolt iPad does not, uh, which is going to be very weird when the iPhone Pro, I guess that one might get an M3. (laughs) So the, the iPhone. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So we're on what? The A16 this year? Uh, so the iPhone, uh, regular, uh, the pedestrian model will get an A16, uh, as an upgrade. Um, and then the iPhone pro will get Thunderbolt, uh, which means it will get an M M2 or an M3. Um, and that'd be cool. Yeah. Desktop class processor for once, I guess. I mean, I don't know what counts as desktop class nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, um, or I guess desktop mentions also. mean it, it should be able to melt something, right? Mm, but with like power usage or what? Yes. <laughs> mm. Then none of the Macs are really desktop class in that sense. They're uh, just come on, know, Apple, sipping, get back in it, sipping twenty five watts. Um. With the Mac Pro, they say that it will probably include the M two Ultra, like. Uh, not really much of a change from I think what we've talked about before. Um yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's just like there there seems to be a lot of overlap. Um but it could be that, you know, they're they're gonna um more or less announce and or release these at about dub dub time. So got a few months to wait, but um it's already March, so not that long. Yeah. It definitely feels right around the corner. Um, I think we will finally see the new Mac Pro this year. Um, otherwise, it's going to... It feels like Apple may as well just let the product die for good <laughs> at this point. Um, because they, they did they did say, uh, and they did te- re-tease that the Mac Pro is like the final one that's coming. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, interesting that they did tease that and there was no big iMac, I guess. Uh, thinking back on it now uh but apple yeah. can do anything at this point um yeah i wonder if they just kind of shoehorn all of the iMacs in as we already have an iMac with with apple silicon so that counts including mm-hmm. that i'm interested to know if they bring out an iMac pro or like if you said like you said if they just say yeah the 27 inch has a um you know, a pro or a max chip in it. And that's good enough. There's no need for an iMac pro anymore type of thing. And maybe it is, it starts at M2, M2, M2 pro, M2 max. You get a full, mm-hmm. a full range of different power for the larger screen. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think the max studio is filling the whole of the mini Mac pro that was heavily rumored prior to all of this? I think so. I think the only thing that I can think of that is would be beneficial for a full-size Mac Pro is expandability, right? Uh, In the Mm -hmm. sense of, like, PCIe. Like, I think if you're baller enough, you can buy yourself an 8-terabyte SSD and call it good, probably. But you can't, um, you know, you can't... I think probably the biggest thing that I can think of are, like, audio engineers where they have some sort of sound PCIe cards where they need the expandability. So they're sort of stuck on this, uh, 2019, 2018, whatever Mac pro, uh, if they want to use Apple products. So there is a hole to be filled, but I think the hole is very niche and that's, what's hard, uh, where it would be cool to be able to throw in another GPU or something. Uh, but like, I, I don't know. And then I have one more thought that has been tickling me. Uh, last week we dis- we discussed uh, these compute units which may be coming. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think the compute units may be like the afterburner card or a successor to the afterburner card itself? Yeah, I could see that. Like as like an FPGA for some specific mm-hmm. task or whatever. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be really cool. Um, I mean, I guess it's like the Mac Pro is always a niche product for people with niche needs. So it doesn't seem out of the question that Mm -hmm. they keep it running. I think for the majority of people, yeah, 
the Mac Studio has fulfilled that need, but there are people that do need, um, at the very least, the PCI expandability and, you know, memory expandability and storage would be nice too. But I think the biggest thing is just PCIe. Yeah, that makes sense. This week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by NotPhu. Tired of eating the same old meals time and time again? Consider Vietnamese food. You might already know pho, but there are tons of other flavors specific to Vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not well known around the world. This includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi, rice plates like kum tam, and even deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo. That's where the app Not Pho comes in. It's a free-to-try app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine, brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make many classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. Recently new is version 1.2, which brought a brand new home screen to the app featuring a recipe of the week and a map of Vietnam, allowing you to start exploring recipes by region as well. Thanks again to Not Pho for sponsoring our show. Search for Not Pho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O on the App Store today to get a try completely for free. So Spencer, I have a code completion tip for you. Um, say right. uh, you're working on a PR, uh, you made a ton of progress, but it took you a few days, um, and then you go to GitHub, you got it all approved and everything, and you go to the bottom and it says, can't merge, uh, there's like too many conflicts or whatever. So you're like, okay, you go mm-hmm. back to your terminal, you uh, get rebase main, uh, and then hell, everything is not working, uh, the <laughs> conflicts are are uh growing a mind of their own uh you've uh, you've uh, hand grown an ai inside of your git repo and it's just not happy uh so <laughs> yeah uh there are many ways to kind of uh get around that situation but what if i were to tell you there's a great way where you can basically tell git hey let's just fast forward through all this merge conflicty stuff and just use what i wrote because I'm obviously correct and no one else is. But that has a benefit because if you go and look at the PR afterwards, it's only going to show you the things that you changed. So if you just outright deleted someone else's code, it'll show up in the PR so you can then go ahead and uh, oh. fix that specific part. You can go ahead and rewrite those commits. Um, and this is where uh, rebasing with X theirs is really cool. So this is an option when you rebase, uh, and it's what's called a merge strategy. Uh, so you you type dash capital X and then lowercase theirs, like mine, yours, theirs, that kind of theirs. Um, and that will go ahead and tell Git that while it's rebasing uh, to prefer their changes. And there in this case is your changes um, because rebasing is right. backwards and confusing. I don't know. I like to think of it as like taking a big X to their changes like you don't want them uh but basically oh, okay. it means it's going to keep your changes uh even though theirs is referring to your branch because main would be ours um and this has to do with like how you merge properly like then it makes sense but i don't know this it was invented by the people who made git and that should be more than enough explanation <laughs> as to why it doesn't make sense uh long story short yeah, just remember fair. If if you want to like speed through a, a rebase, just use dash x theirs when you're rebasing, uh, and that will just prefer your changes over other people's changes, um, and it will speed through all your commits. Now, if there's only like three commits on your branch, I would just go ahead and say do the proper like get rebase and just do the merge conflicts yourself. Um, but if you have yeah. fifty, this will kind of save you a whole ton of time. And worst case, if it does like make the wrong call because sometimes merge conflicts do make the wrong call because after all two people edited the same file uh that will 100 percent show up in the git uh pr uh which because it's it's now your change you actually actively deleted or replaced someone else's code at this point um and that's that's where rebases are really nice compared to merges merges will hide that in in the git pr which is infuriating um so (laughs) Uh, yeah, don't don't use git merges. Use git rebasing and use x theirs to make your life happy. Uh, this show brought to you by x theirs. Um, and yeah, that's that's my that's my rant on that. That's cool. Um, 
yeah, there have definitely been times where like I do get a merge conflict and I'll open like, you know, file merge or whatever. And it only opens one file, well, two versions of one file. And then I'm always just like hitting, you know, left arrow, command D, left arrow, command D and doing that over and over and over and over. Uh, to make sure that I just get all of you know one side's changes or whatever, so that's that would be very useful at times. It doesn't happen too often for me, uh, but yeah, it, it's definitely been a pain in my side before. Yep. So uh, to this week, we are bringing back our our wonderful mini review corner uh, segment, uh, and that's because hey. one slash both of us have bought stuff i i think we ended yeah. up buying the same thing uh mine finally came in uh and it came in these wonderful plastic bags which makes it look like drugs or something i don't know uh <laughs> thanks nintendo uh and i say thanks nintendo because i bought this from the nintendo online store um and i'm excited to show you what it is uh but uh with that i want to give a bit of a preface so many many months ago i guess at this point uh, we had on Mini Review Corner a little Switch portable dock thingy called a Genki. Uh, and the reason right. why I bought the Genki was because Nintendo was not selling Switch docks. Uh, and they're like 80 bucks, even if they were selling them. But they're like no none to be found anywhere. Thanks, chip shortage. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I chose to go with the Genki. And it seemed to work, except when I tried it fairly recently and at the end of december at my parents house turns out didn't like their tv for whatever reason uh so yeah, uh sorry genki you have let me down but uh <laughs> while recently uh while recently moving stuff around in my own home notice that there's no giant tv there uh to my left uh anymore that got moved to a room right across i wanted a switch stock so i was like i don't want to trust the genki thing again and I noticed Nintendo not only had Switch stocks, they had refurbished Switch stocks. Um, and this is great because that means they're cheap. Uh, and by yeah. cheap, it means that they come in these plastic drug drug baggies. Uh, so I'm going to live on screen, rip this guy open, uh, and and give you a live review. Um, I'm actually cheating because I bought two. So this is the other, the other one that I did not open yet. Saved it for the show. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, this is a Nintendo Switch stock. And you might notice this is not the original Nintendo Switch stock. This is the OLED Switch stock, which I didn't know, but apparently works with the original Switch. Uh, And I can confirm that. The cool thing about the OLED Switch stock is if you were to open it up and peek at the back, you'll notice it has a LAN port, uh, which I thought was really cool until I ran a Switch speed test with the LAN port. uh, And I only got like... 70 megabits so yay oh yeah uh yeah i think i was getting 70 megabits on wi-fi so yay (laughs) yeah but it's probably more stable i have a yeah i'd say so um i have a i don't know where it is but i have like a usb like you know semi like official licensed by nintendo usb to, to ethernet dongle and i think it's only 10 100 too so i don't think there's really any like official gigabit speed dock or so I, like the ethernet dongle so i thanks to ubiquity i was able to verify that the cable that was plugged into the port was a gigabit uh port uh like interface right. um and i know it was oh. because there's oh. also another thing connected to that port which is a uh uh interface um so that shows up differently um and fun fact hmm. the mac studio when it is powered off shows up as a 1000 interface um on on networking ports i think that's so that we can like auto wake it over the network um but it doesn't yeah. necessarily go at full 10 gigabit per second uh when it doesn't need to it just kind of throttles down to 10 megabit per second i guess um i'm not too sure yeah um <laughs> that's th- cool yeah that's a thing uh but yeah uh so Network speeds nonwithstanding, uh, it looks to be in as good condition as you would think a brand new product were, despite not being a brand new product. So I think that's cool. Uh, one downside of the fact that uh, the inside here has a LAN port, it does not have 
the extra USB port on the inside. So you are now constrained oh. to two USB ports two. Um, if you were right. not previously using it for the LAN port. So that's just something to keep in mind. But otherwise, yeah, cool. Very cool. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Macedon.social at Code Completion to know when new episodes go live, and feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Do I spoil the whole uh, Tears of the Kingdom art book to you? (laughs) No, please don't. (laughs) But I need someone to discuss it with. Hmm. No, not me. Can't be me. I'm a. I'm a. Just wait it out. We're. I've only got like what? April, May. Yeah, two months, man. Come on, I can do it. When do you think we're gonna get the next trailer? Yeah, I don't know. I probably a couple weeks, maybe, maybe a month out from from the release. Hmm. So. I don't know. Does it need another? I mean, probably will get one, I guess. But I don't know if it needs another trailer. Yeah. The, people are saying it's going to get a demo at PAX. So I don't know what PAX mm. is, but apparently that's when demos come out. <laughs> I don't know so, when it is. Well-informed gamer over here. Yes, yes. <laughs> Well-versed <laughs> in all things. <laughs> Hello, my fellow uh, gamers. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, uh, March 23rd to 26th. Okay, so a few weeks. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole bunch of rumblings that this, the same sky area they keep on showing us is going to be like the 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 new plateau. Um, so that's probably what's going to oh. be like playable is like, hey, you're on this new sandbox area. And if you fall to your mm-hmm. doom, you just kind of warp back to the top and end up falling back to the island or something i don't know yeah i i i've long like do you remember in ocarina of time the the lost woods how like you go through the wrong exit and then you end up at the beginning um i've long like dreamed of a game that did the lost woods where it would like self-wrap on itself with like seamless transitions like we have the technology cool. to do that surely yeah, nowadays yes. and you yeah, have to actively portal, like yeah exactly um and you would have to actively like pay attention to your surroundings and the shape of the trees and all that to like find your way That'd through cool. i think that would be like really really neat um but yeah you could do that with with three dimensions too like if you fall you just end up at the top and there's like so many layers um yeah i don't know where i'm going yeah that'd be cool yeah, no. Um, I think the thing that I'm, like, the most interested in is... I saw, like, one screenshot, and it was, like, a comparison between Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom in, like, the same location. It looks, like, the same. So I'm wondering, like, how they're going to make it... Aside from, like, the sky stuff, how they're going to make the overworld unique to Breath of the Wild, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah. I, who have watched too many YouTube videos that all unfortunately declare, <laughs> we're not talking about spoilers. I Like, come on, please. Someone talk about the spoilers. I need to, <laughs> I need to get it off my chest. Um, uh, I have, I have learned just enough Japanese to be able to read out like the, 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 the very small amount of captions that it has. And I'm like, no, uh... um, but in the non-spoilery stuff, people have compared like the same camera position because of course you can do that with breath of the wild um i don't know modders are crazy um but they found out that the draw distance is a lot better so uh in places where the where the the rock formations kind of didn't load in all the way like you can actually make them out properly um which is probably important if you're going to be flying around and seeing the whole the whole shebang in one in one go right yeah 
Yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting. Maybe maybe they'll set it up kind of like how... Like, this is another element that all Zelda games, or almost all Zelda games had that Breath of the Wild didn't really, is like a... Excuse me. Uh, a light world and then a dark world version of sure. the same thing. Um, and, like, Ocarina of Time did it where you have young Link and... Oh, adult link uh and it's the same hyrule it's just different um so right, maybe that true. can be an element that they that they explore where all of tears of the kingdom is the adult link timeline or the dark world and a link to the past where the mm-hmm. the landmarks are the same but the things that you're going to find in those landmarks are totally different um and unexpected yeah. so that might be like the key the key thing that's going to to be different between the two games. I don't think Tears of the Kingdom itself is going to have like the dichotomy because like it's already probably mm-hmm. a big enough game as is. Um, but that could be that could be very interesting how how they explore that. Yeah, you know, I uh, <laughs> my my first thought when I heard the title Tears of the Kingdom was like, aren't they called Sacred Tears in like the Sacred Realm from um, Skyward Sword? I freaking hate those stupid Sacred Tears. I know, dude. That was the <laughs> that worst was a... part of Skyward, the most stressful thing in like gaming history, dude. <laughs> Seriously, I like, hated that was those not challenges. fun. And and yeah. freaking Twilight Princess started it off and it wasn't fun and they just made them worse. And it was like, oh That's no. True. Yeah. Um, I guess At they're like trying to do the like... collectathons of like, you need to get all the gold skulltulas. Just you have 10 seconds oh. and these things are going to chase you with nerve wracking music and it's just going to be stress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like at least in, in Twilight Princess, it was like, you had all the time in the world. Uh, yeah, no, in Skyward Sword, it's just, like, a panic fest, dude. I hated that. Seriously. Like, honestly, I probably would replay Skyward Sword on the Switch if it weren't for that. But I'm just like, I, I'm scarred, man. Emotional scars. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. It wasn't the controls that scarred you. It was the the time limit on with the nerve-wracking music of the things chasing you. For last real. Minute. Yeah. Oh man! Uh, obviously, you can tell I don't play horror games. <laughs> that would not be fun. So yeah, yeah. The other thing well, I we're thought almost of there. when, I, when oh. I saw those tears uh, was an anime called Ikitosen, which is uh, not appropriate for any age. But I was thirteen when I saw it, and that was not appropriate then <laughs> for any age. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, they have those same tears everywhere, and that's the first thing I thought of because my thirteen-year-old brain was scarred. Um, so yeah, that's a thing. Uh, but nice. yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. May I think it's probably going to be like sage related. It makes sense. Seven is a auspicious Zelda number in that regard. Indeed. Um. So it's uh, it's yeah. going to be interesting. I wonder how they're going to tell the story line, the story this time around. Is it going to be like over narrated, like Skyward Sword, or is it going to be more like event driven, kind of like Ocarina of Time, where there's like little cutscenes? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's I think it's interesting that in the last trailer there are like voice actors though for like Ganondorf and everything too. So like. Maybe there are sort of cutscene type things where people are actually like voice speaking and not just like text, uh, kind of like the memories. Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Can't wait. Two more months. Yeah. I know. That's the crazy thing, too. It's like it's been like five years, dude. Two months. We're almost there. It's we're. Yeah. It's super close, so that's the exciting part for me. Is there's not uh, much much time left to wait. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, the time is gonna fly for me too because I'm gonna be busy being a parent for the first time. And that's gonna be exciting. Um, so <laughs> I'm definitely not going to be naming my kid Blinker Zelda. Um, who told you? Um, but. <laughs> I may or may not be playing uh, Zelda while while holding a kid, to hoping for it to 
to fall asleep, um, depending yep. on what insane sleep schedule I end up with. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe <laughs> I don't get a play at all. And this is just, what's another few more months, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I'll be the one just sitting here being like, Dimitri, I need to talk to you. Oh, don't worry. I will spoil oh. myself. I'm I'm a, oh, okay. cool. a, cool. a loose cool. cannon in that regard. It's like, I don't want to yeah, wait another week for the second episode of an anime. To the light novels. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or like, you need to play Tunic. Like, you've watched speedruns of Tunic. But it's like, it's a great game. You should play it. But I watched the 100% already. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, uh, yeah. To live vicariously uh, through others. I know. For like Elden Ring, I specifically was like, I know there's a lot of Elden Ring content on YouTube. I'm not going to watch anything until I finish the game myself. And then I can, you know, experience it uh, through other people and how they, you know, break the game. This morning, or earlier today, I watched a a four-minute speed run of Elden Ring. The game (laughs) took me like 120 hours to beat. Like like, legitimately, like you're not trying to slow down. It's just like it takes that long. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I I just went through another playthrough. Well, I'm not quite done, but I beat it. I've almost beat it in 20 hours, and I've not done like a bunch of side stuff. But like, to I mean, be clear, I don't think the guy that did in four minutes did a bunch of side stuff either. Maybe he did one no, I know, piece I know, I know. of side stuff that like accelerates the whole thing. I don't know. Well. <laughs> He he does like an like insane glitch called zipping where you basically just like you have to time something with an idle animation and you just like zip forward like miles and miles and so he's just like warping basically across the map to go to specific uh you know like cutscene planes like dropping through the forest temple in uh in Ocarina of Time and you get to Ganondorf's room like that kind of thing. Uh mm-hmm. Pretty crazy, but people can speedrun the game in about an hour, like, um, not glitchless, I think, which is, like, it, insane. That reminds me of, like, Super Swims and Wind Waker, where mm-hmm. you just watch for five minutes the speedrunner going... Yeah. ...on their controller <laughs> for five full minutes, and you're like, this can't, be, can't possibly be saving them time and then out of nowhere yeah. link just go blah 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 and then you see all the islands zooming by <laughs> yeah you like, ends okay. up in an unloaded yeah. version of island x and it's just like well the adventure has started <laughs> yeah that kind of stuff it's like is like i've said this before but it just like amazes me the people like the the amount of dedication people have to like Figuring out this stuff and like, hey, let's figure out how fast I can move my control stick so I can go forwards and backwards, you know, 30 times a, a second so this super swim can go, you know, you can read yeah, maximum Yeah, and accumulate like, neg- negative velocity okay. because the developers didn't yeah. think of negative velocity. <laughs> Crazy stuff, dude. It's, yeah, it's nuts. I guess so. if there are any game developers listening to us, you should absolutely use AI to build your games. Because that encourages... <laughs> Glitches. Good for speedrunners. And, and, and wonderful uh, inopportune uh, code to kind of creep its way in uh, in a non, non-obvious non way. And hopefully most of your players will not like see it as a bug. Uh, and a few players will be able to abuse the hell out of it. Like I'm always so surprised yeah. that most games just don't crash with any of these like super crazy things and they just like handle <laughs> yeah, it dude. um that is yeah. the, that is the most surprising thing in all honesty that's very true because like the kind of abuse that these poor games get um especially with like arbitrary code execution depending on the angle you are facing being the instructions like yeah. of course that's gonna go badly um but it's like no it's actually consistent if you go here and you pick up this thing and then you like sidestep three times this way uh you get the exact angle setup it's like well okay <laughs> that's that's a thing yeah um or like using paper or was it paper mario and ocarina of time to like like mo- using multiple game cards it's like holy crap dude <laughs> yeah. what the how is that even like possible yeah <laughs> memory manipulation crazy does that count as a side channel attack? <laughs> Maybe. Memory manipulation. That'd be good. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, I guess you're only allowed to write bugs in your apps if you can add f- fun, fun little Easter eggs like this, uh, and don't get let people's credit cards get stolen or something. Uh, then everyone's yeah. happy. Yeah, definitely not like a security issue when it's on a game console. Maybe I don't know. The Switch stores your payment information, right? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that maybe. Well, I guess it's not someone else doing it, right? It's not like you can speedrun someone else's game. Uh, well maybe True. in like Smash. I don't know. That's kind of scary now that I think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> it oh, you you uh linked me to uh Mother's Basement. Uh, which is a YouTube mm-hmm. channel that talks about uh, anime, and they have a wonderful uh, segment of tr- hottest trash anime. Um, and there was one that I ended up watching where it was framed exactly like a speedrunning. Uh, a speedrunner uh, was like, "Oh, playing nice!" A game, like at the split. But, yeah, but it was a uh, uh, the director speedrunning the 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 story of the anime, and it was it was like excellently uh, portrayed. Uh, they got the whole summoning salts. Uh, background music started and everything that was oh, like nice. uh, chef's kiss to, to, so good. to that whole segment um, I'm never going to find that again because I watched like a hundred Mother's Basements videos uh, over the last two days <laughs> oh thank gosh. you Spencer um, <laughs> you're, but, you're welcome uh, yeah go go check that out I guess I'm not going to link you uh, you're better off not being linked I think fair very yeah. fair thanks for listening everyone Bye.